This is Our Opinions Are Correct, and Charlie Jane and I are taking a little break right now. I mean, not the second, right, Charlie Jane? Yeah, we kind of are. We're kind of kicking. We're sleeping kicking right now. I'm asleep and as you so listen to this. And so while we're taking a little holiday break, we're bringing you one of our very favorite episodes. This is an episode about science fiction and romance with our guest, Alyssa Cole. So please enjoy. Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about science fiction and everything else. I'm Annalee Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer who thinks kind of a lot about science. So today we're talking about the most important part of science fiction, which is when a story becomes a romance. So we're going to talk first about what kinds of science fiction and fantasy settings are ideal for love stories, but also a little bit about why are science fiction and romance still viewed as marginal genres, even though they're among the top-selling books and movies. And best of all, we're thrilled to have romance and science fiction author Alyssa Cole joining us to talk about all of this. She is the award-winning author of several series, most recently The Loyal League, The Reluctant Royals, and Off the Grid. So welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, let's start the show. history of science fiction as a genre, it was originally called a scientific romance. And this was around the mid-19th century when romantic fiction and literature were kind of all the rage. And people like Mary Shelley, who hung out with a bunch of romantic poets, was writing early science fiction. And so in critics' minds and the public's minds at that time, there was kind of this idea that anything that was science fictional, or what we would call science fictional today, was actually part of this romantic genre uh, of writing. And it was really only in the kind of mid-20th century that people really stopped calling them scientific romances and started calling them science fiction. And it's also worth noting, as we talked about in our Pulp Fiction episode, that a lot of the pulp publishers who were publishing early science fiction, um, golden age science fiction, most of their money was coming from romance titles. You know, there'd be a heaping portion of romance and sex related titles. And then in these pulp publishers um, libraries, and then there'd be like a little dash of science fiction here and there. So science fiction's always been, in a sense, kind of piggybacking on top of, of romance. But at the same time, Romance didn't really kind of come into science fiction until later. So what do you guys see as being some of the romantic themes um, that we get in science fiction and fantasy early on? Like, is there any are there any kind of milestones in the 20th century where you see like, okay, here's the moment when science fiction starts to have romance in it? Are we including 50s monster movies and Oh, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. All that Uh, stuff. Yeah. So like thinking back to that and kind of, you know, the monster boyfriend trope as Mm -hmm. it's been called lately. Um, So like I just think about, you know, seeing those things playing on on the cable channels or 
I guess starting there, but I'm sure before that. But that's the first thing I can really think of. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of the main science fiction tropes can be turned towards kind of like, you know, being scary or kind of like threatening, but also it can be turned easily towards a kind of romantic focus, like robots, aliens, giant monsters. You know, there's always an element of romance in the way that they're handled. Like King Kong always has that relationship with Fay Ray. Creature from the Black Lagoon always has that relationship with the woman in that movie. Uh, aliens, there's often some kind of romance with an alien and a human. You know, the first depictions of robots, like in Metropolis, she's attractive, she's sexual, she's kind of, and, you know, some of the earliest robot stories have that element of kind of romancing the other. And I feel like the moment we create an other that's like not like us, we immediately want to know what it's like to fall in love with that, that, that being. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that even in the very first science fiction novel, which I think is Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster has this overarching motivation, which is that he wants to be loved and he wants Frankenstein to make him a wife. And that's certainly not an example. I mean, the romance in that novel is not centered. It's kind of a plot point, but that's that's the monster's main wish, you know, is is to have a romance. And so um, I wish there'd been like a Mary Shelley sequel for that, where it's like, <laughs> and then it's just like all about like monster romance. <laughs> that would have been amazing. That would have been great. And I feel like, um, Alyssa, you're right that like, now there is this whole like monster boyfriend, um, you know, massive sequel to to Frankenstein, you know, where the <laughs> monster gets to like date a bunch of cool people. Um, <laughs> so um, there's also, I think, in science fiction, um, a long history of criticizing romance, too. Like there's a famous story by James Tiptree called The Girl Who Was Plugged In, which is kind of a really early um, like virtual reality type story where there is a young woman who is not conventionally attractive. This was written in the 60s. So, you know, they had lots <laughs> of ideas about what made you conventionally attractive. Um, and she can project her brain using this VR technology into the body of this like super sexy supermodel type uh, clone creature. And so she lives out all her romantic fantasies in this kind of flesh doll and then has to kind of come back to reality sometimes. And it's very, it's very much portrayed as something that's like sick and wrong and terrible. And that, you know, this is like a kind of a horrible thing that's been done to her and to society because she, you know, has this really mediated romance. Um, so there's, there's sort of those two strands of like yearning for love, yearning for the other, and then also kind of criticizing the idea of romance as being this kind of artificial thing that's been kind of distorted by technology or distorted by science somehow. I find that, that idea interesting that science is something or advancement is something that causes um, a lack of connection or disconnection. Um, because right. my favorite romance, uh, sci-fi romance to read and to write is kind of incorporates technology and the way we use it the way the way I use it even just in my general present day life is for connection with my friends uh with my family I feel like that's how most people use it but then it gets kind of distorted into this well if you weren't so busy on your phone you would have real connections when so many people's right. real connections are in their phones 
So sometimes it's just kind of like a willful misunderstanding of what technology is used for or how it's used and how that can um, create, be used as a vehicle to deepen relationships instead of create rips in relationships. Yeah. So it's like a fantasy of like, what if technology was actually good for us? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I mean, it can be like lots, lots of people do use technology to maintain connections. So it's, it's not totally a fantasy. Um, Alyssa, I was wondering if you could um, give us a definition of romance. It could be your own definition or kind of just a standard definition, because we've been talking a lot about how science fiction incorporates romance. But how does, from a, the point of view of a romance writer, how do you even define it? The basic definition that most romance writers go by is that a romance can be about anything it can be about literally anything but the it it must have two main uh achieve two main things uh the story kind of has to be driven by the relationship between two or more humans or with sci-fi uh people or aliens or whatever and whoever is in your science fiction romance. And um, basically, the main role is that there has to be um, a happily ever after. And this is where things kind of get muddied with within the genre waters of what a romance is. Because happily ever after does not mean that everyone, <laughs> everyone is like happy and rich and has no problems. It simply means <laughs> that um, it's a satisfactory ending for the reader. So in a romance, that would be the couple is together um, or the protagonists are together and uh, reasonably you're reasonably sure that they're going to be happy together and move forward in life um, and not without having too hard of a time. So it's not like, you know, they have like bags of gold and like are set for life. It's basically like, okay, these people who love each other are together. They can be in the worst situation the worst situation in the world, they can be in a a dystopia, they can be in, you know, a terrible, everything around them can be terrible, but basically they have each other and there's a hope for their future. Um, So that's basically the main thing that differentiates romance because there are several books that are romantic and then you're reading it and you get to the last page and then one of the main characters dies which is, you know, very touching, but that's not a romance. And that's when people start, you know, getting really angry Um, because it's basically a promise that you're going to close the book and feel good about these people that you've gone on this journey with. And I don't really think that's so different from the general science fiction promise of like, you know, if you're following like a ragtag um, group living on a space station you don't want the ending to be that a comet crashes into the the space station. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like that wouldn't be a satisfactory ending um, for people who have grown to attach to and love these characters. So it's basically just giving uh, the reader a satisfactory ending, but with love, because that was the main drive of the particular book. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about the movie Her, because I was, I was like, you know, that's actually one of the best science fiction romances I can think of. Um, I mean, I know there's many critiques of that film, but I really liked it. But it ends with them not being together. Yeah. So that would be, that's a romantic film, but it's not a romance. Yeah, I actually didn't watch it 
<laughs> because I I heard that it, it didn't have a happy ending. And I was like, uh, I can't get my heart invested in this. <laughs> it's, in a weird it. way, it's like, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a happy ending for the, I mean, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a happy ending for the AI character because she has a lot of hope. <laughs> and like she and, and all the other AIs, you know, have a lot of hope. And like, this was like a starter romance for her, or like, this was like 10,000 or uh, I forget how many people she winds up having a romance with, but Spoilers. it's like, oh, oh, sorry, okay, maybe I don't watch it. <laughs> you should check it out. Like it ends up being it's like a fun movie. Yeah. It ends up being about what AI consciousness, like what would an AI experience as romance? And okay, this is exactly this, like, something I would love to watch. <laughs> Yeah. So, but it, but it's true. It doesn't fit that, you know, at the end, you're not like, oh, they're going to get back together. It's like, no, <laughs> that's like just not possible. <laughs> so given that definition of romance, what do you think are some of the best science fiction scenarios for, you know, centering that kind of story? Like we talked about Monster Boyfriend, which is awesome. Are there any other like, like, for example, like there's the star-crossed lovers in the midst of like an intergalactic battle type thing. Is that like a good scenario or is it or is there really just like any scenario? I think there are so many. My favorite is kind of fish out of water or opposites attract, which is a great one to be if you're using a yeah. human and someone from from another, you know, species or a non-human protagonist. I don't know. I feel like there are so many fun things you can do with science fiction romance. Um, Like, I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but taking kind of like even romantic comedy tropes, you can take more serious ones like, you know, Space Princess on the run, like in Polaris Rising by Jesse Mielek. There's just like, I feel like there's so much fun to be had with it. And there are so many great ways to apply it. So, I mean, I personally am a huge sucker for human in love with a a robot or an AI, which is something that we've talked about a little bit already. Like, and for me, the kind of seminal human in love with a robot slash AI story is The Silver Metal Lover by Tenneth Lee, which is this kind of famous novel from, I think, the 70s about this woman who falls in love with an android. And he's like, it's all about how he's like the most considerate lover. and He's really... (laughs) devoted to her and he cares about her and it's this fantasy of having a man who basically is just always going to be there for you and kind of take care of you and i feel like that's kind of you know there have been a million stories of people in love with ais and robots but i feel like that's the kind of classic for me and also you know romance with a ghost i feel like there's something really cool about ghost romance like you know truly madly deeply that movie by uh anthony Minghella. Uh, is it doesn't have a happy ending spoiler alert but it's I mean, it has a bittersweet ending but it's a really beautiful romance with a ghost and there's obviously the movie ghost there's a bunch of other ones but you know the idea of someone coming back after death to be with you is a really sweet notion i feel like and then there's like movies like starman which kind of combine the alien and the ghost so it's like right. best of both. But I got to say, like, yeah, things end badly when you have affairs with ghosts, <laughs> unless you also become a ghost. <laughs> so that would make The Shining kind of a romance. <laughs> There's like a really, I feel like that's like ultimate romance writer challenge. Like, how do you get the satisfactory ending with when one of the characters is a ghost? now i'm like now i'm trying to figure out how i would do that if you see me having a ghost romance you know what 
the movie Beetlejuice um, actually gives you kind of an answer to that question because huh. it's a happily ever after ending. It's kind of a comedy of remarriage because they kind of have to re fall in love again as ghosts, the two adults. And then that is true. And at the end, it's like the super, they're like all happy in the house and they have this like gothy daughter who's a human, but like, because she's a goth, like <laughs> she can kind of enjoy her new ghosty parents. And like, I don't know, like that would be one way to do it was have, have both people be ghosts and find a happy house to live in. <laughs> I think, I think that's one of the better endings you can find with that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, actually, San Junipero, the yes, Black Mirror episode. That episode. That's, yeah, that actually is kind of another one where it's like combining the ghost falling in love with a ghost with kind of, um, you know, a VR afterlife kind of idea. Yeah, that's the perfect mashup. Another thing I love in science fiction is kind of that dynamic that I feel like comes from the Thin Man movies where it's like, you know, a husband and wife team who are having an adventure together and they're they're teaming up and they're being friends and they love each other and support each other in these in the middle of these adventures. And I feel like I love it when I see that, like where there's a couple who are kind of just you know, they're just a team and they're, they're best friends, but they're also married. And like, for example, the stainless, the stainless steel rat books, uh, the main character, slippery Jim degrees ends up falling in love with like, he's kind of a con artist slash trickster figure who usually ends up saving the universe. And he ends up teaming up with another con artist. Who's kind of a assassin slash con artist named Angelina. And they just, have adventures together and eventually they have kids and the kids join them on their adventures. And it's just, it's a really nice thing because it's just a happy marriage. You know, this actually reminds me of the in depth series by JD Robb, who is Nora Roberts. And I thought it was just like straight up police procedural, but apparently it is sci-fi romance with a married couple in Ooh. like mid century. Uh, mid 21st century New York. Yeah. And I, like, I haven't started it yet because it is 40 something books. And I'm like, okay, I'm really going to have to like <laughs> get some fortitude going before <laughs> I dive into this. But for me that, and this is like one of those interesting things where it's like, I didn't know this book was sci-fi. I didn't know this book was romance. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, I think it has that same thing of following a married couple along, you know, following a married couple over the years with their adventures and, you know, solving crime. And, uh, yeah, I think that um, we can't have this discussion without also mentioning Lois McMaster Bujold's um, For Kozigan saga, because that starts with a two novels, which I think are now sold as one book called Cordelia's Honor, where um, the hero of that cycle of stories of the Forkosigan saga, Miles Forkosigan, has not been born yet. And so it's about the romance between his mother and father, who are definitely opposites attract. One is from like a planet of like liberal feminists, and one is from like the patriarchy planet. Wow. Um, <laughs> and they, they have to learn to bridge their differences. And they're both super clever, um, you know, spies and kind of operatives and they help prevent like this political disaster together and fall in love. And it's, it's definitely got that dynamic of like, they fall in love and, and kind of ultimately become a married couple in the midst of this adventure where they learn to respect each other. 
Um, and then their child, Miles, uh, becomes the hero of the series. And then finally, at the very end of the series, as the series is coming to an end, we kind of return to Cordelia, Miles's mom, and we see what's happening to her and her later life. And um, she's having another great romance. Um, and Aww. so, uh, yeah, that's in um, Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen. And you can guess who... <laughs> <laughs> who the people are in this romance <laughs> there's the gentleman and the queen um and it's pretty hot it's great so let's take a break and when we come back we're going to talk all about Alyssa cole's amazing novels So, Alyssa, I wanted to start by talking about Off the Grid because um, they feel really prescient now that everyone is stuck at home with their families. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, it is very strange seeing things from various uh, novels coming into play in reality right now. Like, there are some things that are fun when that happens, like um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. But um, yes. other things that are not fun, like self-quarantine and a pandemic and, you know, all of these things that come, yeah. come along with, like, possible apocalypse. Yeah. Well, in Off the Grid, it's it's not actually, there's not, you know, it's not exactly like what's no, happening not, no, now, no. but they are. No, it's not. But, if you want to um, read it, it's safe to read it. There is no pandemic in Off the Grid. <laughs> Yes. And it just gets better and better. And it's um, I mean, it's it's another kind of scary pandemic, which is what if we kind of didn't have electricity anymore and how would we like survive? And I was wondering what made you look to the to the sort of post-apocalyptic story for your romance? Um, You didn't go with Monster Boyfriend. You were like, no, let's have a post-apocalypse. What was your thinking about that? I will say that Gabriel, the hero in the first book, is very annoying not quite monster levels, but he is pretty annoying. But um, the reason I went with <laughs> the, the reason I went with that is it I I actually started writing it. I think it was a bit after or around the time of like when there was supposed to be the Mayan apocalypse. Do you remember? That seems really yeah. Twenty twelve. <laughs> Prepping was in the news and kind of what are you getting ready for the apocalypse and. I, I don't know, something just kind of really appealed to me, not about the apocalypse, but about the idea of like what would happen. Um, I didn't really want to write about zombies. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with zombies, but I just kind of got this idea of like, what would happen if you kind of were stuck um, in the middle of this situation, like away from your family, uh, with your friend, and how would romance and relationships kind of bloom in this kind of world and um, within this family and friend group. So yeah, I kind of just started with uh, being inundated with news about like about the apocalypse that might happen and kind of just jumping off from there. Also, I feel like this is there's a theme in a bunch of your novels where there's major characters who are either scientists or they're grad students or they're studying to be scientists. And it's sort of the same thing in Off the Grid. Is there something just inherently romantic about people who are interested in science? <laughs> um, well, I would say yes. 
So for until very recently, um, I was an editor at a scientific journal. But basically, um, you know, I was kind of immersed in science all the time. I've always been interested in science, even though I ended up in that job as a complete, it was completely by chance. But even as a kid, like, you know, I was always reading those almanacs and books with 100 amazing science facts and things like that. So it's always been something that's um, been pretty interesting to me. And kind of just, I don't know, there's something really amazing about scientific discovery or just interest in these things. So I kind of just, and I think, enjoy writing characters who are into those things because then I get to research them. <laughs> and um, that's always a fun part for me. One thing that I really loved about An Extraordinary Union, which is one of your books that I read, is how you know the main character, Elle, is so competent. She's really good at her job. And part of how she and Malcolm fall in love is that he really respects her competence and ends up deferring to her expertise as like a spy during the Civil War. What do you do? You think that it's important for us to fall in love with competent characters, and do you think that's part of what makes a good romantic lead? I think so, actually. So in romance, they call it um, competency porn, which is basically yeah. uh, I, I I use that phrase too. Yeah, it's a popular in science fiction as well. I think competence porn the movie the martian is like the ultimate yes, yes. Porn. that's like triple x competence porn yeah i mean i think that's important in romance for many romance readers because it's kind of linked to um trust and the ability uh for the characters to trust each other and to like really um you know admiration is great too, too but also trust and like trust in your partner's skills you know, and their competency is something that can be really effective at showing um, a growing romance or why people, you know, part of the why these characters are attracted to each other. So when you're thinking about pairing up two people or two individuals um, in a story, how do you how do you decide what makes them click? Like what what's the sort of thought process there? Sometimes the characters just their clicky parts come very, you know, uh, come to me very quickly um, as I'm planning them or the, the two characters and how they would interact, even if I don't know everything about them. I know the basic reasons why they belong together. Um, but sometimes it's a bit more difficult. And uh, as I'm, I guess, as I'm planning out the characters and basically the the characters for the story that I'm writing, I kind of try to think about what they need from each other, what they need from the world, uh, what they are missing in themselves, and um, also what they don't need, and kind of just all of the ways, you know, each relationship doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, but kind of just, you know, what is it specifically about these characters that would make me and the reader believe that they will have a happily ever after, you know, or have a relatively good relationship after the end of this book or care about them after the end of this book. So I kind of try to think about um, what traits and like, it's not something that I always think about deeply. Um, And I think sometimes at the end of the day, it defaults to variations of um, order Muppet and chaos Muppet. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> which is something. So wait, so one of them, so one of them has to be order muppet, and one has to be chaos muppet, yeah. or like yes, or the, all of the different ways that that can vary. And like, I just recently started thinking of it in this way, but you know, or, or another way of thinking of it is, um, you know, which character rolls the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, and which character rolls it from the middle of the tube. And how does that fit in uh, to their personality? And is it the character you would expect to do that, given their other behaviors? Um, The way I've been thinking of it now over the past couple months is um, which character would carefully preserve the quarantine snacks and which would eat them all immediately the first two days after you went quarantine shopping? <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to go back to something that you were saying um earlier about when you were thinking about pairing people up and you were thinking about what people need from the world and I was wondering is there is one of the ingredients of a good romance that I fall in love with someone who kind of um represents something that I want that's bigger than just the romance it's something that I want out of the world or some goal that I have uh, I don't think they necessarily have to represent that. The characters who would support them in getting that goal or maybe a better way would support them and be there for them and make their life better even if they don't achieve their goals in the world or even if the mm, rest of the yeah. world is terrible. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of in that sense. like, And there are different forms of like, characters who would be working toward a goal together, um, a longer term goal or a shorter term goal, but also one character might be very driven toward a goal and the other character might be like, okay, I have my own things going on, but I will also help you with your goal. So I guess um, just kind of how they come together, you know, in their own little romance world, but also um, to either make the world better or to deal with the world when it's not that great. So I wanted to hear more about the AI next door. We were talking about this earlier before we started recording. Can you tell us about the AI next door and how it came to be and how you got Mindy Kaling to be in it? (laughs) Okay. Um, So it actually got up. The name got changed from the AI next door to the AI who love me. Um, I also oh, still right. always call Sorry. no, 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 that's fine because I also still myself also always call it the AI next door, um, because of the play on the guy next door. But it is an audible original, it will be out in ebook and print this summer. Um, yeah, so an, an editor from Audible asked me if I had anything to pitch, and I had been working on something. Um, so I kind of took like this rom-com idea and um, dystopian suspense and smushed them together, and then I came that became the AI who loved me. Um, and then, yeah, so as I was writing it, I had no idea. I was just trying to get it done and thought it was cool, and then... At some point, they were like, oh, we're going to do a celebrity casting. And I was like, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, first they got, um, there is a kind of snarky artificial intelligence. It's set at an apartment complex. And the apartment complex is uh, artificial intelligence. Penny is played by Mindy Kaling. Uh, Like, when I got that email, I literally just, like, screamed in the house. 
Um, and then for the lead, uh, Trinity, they cast Regina Hall. And uh, the robot male lead is uh, Theodore Chin. So it was, yeah, it just turned out to be really cool and um, totally unexpected, but it worked out really great. I got to write sound effects in because I kind of wanted it to be a bit like a radio play. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to that. I wanted to go back to, you mentioned Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. So you, of course, predicted our current quarantine in Off the Grid, but then in The Reluctant Royals, you predicted this amazing interracial romance between, you know, a royal and a, you know, celebrity. You know, the funny thing about that is that, like, people will be like, oh, so this book is based on Harry and Meghan. And I'm like, no, not really, kind of. <laughs> Meghan was no, not No, they around. based it on this book. <laughs> But then I'm like, then it just seems weird to be like, arguing with people about it. So I'm just like, yes. Romance writers don't get enough credit for like predicting the future. You know, it's like always sci-fi writers. And it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, I was was saying that like, I'm just really going to write only books with like, purely good things in them for the next year or so. Because I was like, the Loyal League came out and like, suddenly Confederates were like, hey, we're back. The good thing, Meghan Markle and Harry were a great thing that came out. But it was like... Yeah, I definitely am going to be very explicit (laughs) in all future books that only good things can happen in the world. (laughs) We all appreciate it. (laughs) All right. I'm curious about whether when you're writing interracial couples, which you've done in a bunch of books, if there's issues that you think about there that don't come up as much when it's a couple who are of the same race. I feel like I don't at this point have to think about it that much but I feel like I think about what I don't like when I read other books especially because my heroines are generally going to be black women I feel like sometimes um, I'll pick up a book that has an interracial couple or a black woman protagonist she's like I don't know weird about being black (laughs) Like, like it's a burden like my main thing that I try to think about is that like there are things that these characters will have to take into consideration, especially, for example, the historical. Like when I was writing An Extraordinary Union, which was set during the Civil War, I really did not want it to be in any way possible to confuse this book with, you know, I fell in love with the slave master's son. I needed it to be their roles to be very clear and for it to be very clear that like each character was sure of themselves in certain aspects so that it would not become a problem later down the line. I just try to kind of make sure that the characters, um, not that they have to be perfect and know everything about themselves, but none of those, obviously neither should discover that they are racist or, <laughs> or bigoted in any way. But also, um, I feel like sometimes books will add in things about race without examining them fully. Like, for example, if a book is going to have a character that is biracial and feels that conflicted because of that, I feel like the writer really needs to make it clear that it's not great. (laughs) Because, like, I'm trying to find, like, a, a... Nice way to say this, but like sometimes people when writing um, interracial relationships, primarily if one of the characters is white and the other character isn't, 
the character who is not white will be kind of presented as like trying to uh, get closer to whiteness through the relationship. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think some people realize that they're writing this. I don't think they would do it if they realized they were doing it. Like, you know, sometimes it's this thing like a character who like is upset about how brown their skin is or like uh, I've read ones where it's like a character, a black character who sees like her white friend has straight hair and she wishes she had straight hair. And I'm like, she can just get a weave or a wig if she wanted straight hair. But like, you know, so like these kinds <laughs> of things were like, I don't like created angst. Um, there are like plenty of real things to be angsty about. So I just kind of try to focus on realistic issues in ways that I hope do not also perpetuate, you know, ideas that could be hurtful to people. Like, it, I think it's fine, of course, to talk about things that can be hurtful or hurtful thoughts that people can have. But I also, if I'm going to bring those up, I need to make it crystal clear in the book that it's not okay or that the person might need help with this or um, explore it in some way. And also, I don't think it needs to be like the driving force behind every book. In many ways, it can just be written as a straightforward romance, but you do have to keep in mind, like, it becomes a conversation about like um, relative power in the world around them and making sure that they're aware of that. And like that you have to do that in any romance. It doesn't have to be like deeply discussed on the page, but kind of presenting it in a way that the reader, at least on some level, understands that the characters know their relative power level to one another. Yeah, I mean, I think in the Reluctant Royals stories, like, oftentimes that's something that people are dealing with in terms of class, too. Yeah. Because, like, one person is royalty or one person is really rich. And, like, there's... And so even if there's no racial difference, there's still this, like, negotiation of, like, how are we going to deal with it when we realize that, like, the guy we thought was just a regular dude is actually a prince (laughs) or, you know... He just seemed like kind of a grumpy guy, but. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like so much of relationships in a a romance novel comes down to that, this exploration of power differentials and how they affect a relationship and ignoring them won't help anything. So kind of addressing them and getting them, getting on the same page about them or figuring out how to handle them. So what are you working on right now? What are we going to get next? Other than, of course, the AI who loved me. The next book I have coming out in September, which I'm not working on, it's finished, is um, a thriller called When No One Is Watching. And it is a gentrification thriller about a woman who moves back to her Brooklyn neighborhood and everything is changing. And she decides to, as a way of like regaining control, she decides to um, start a historical tour, a historical walking tour and ends up getting help from one of her new neighbors. And they maybe are stumbling onto some things from the past that are not quite the past. (laughs) Wow. What I'm finishing up now is the first book in the Reluctant Royal spinoff which is The Runaway Royals. Uh, The first book is How to Catch a Queen. You know, some of the people from The Reluctant Royals, some of the characters will pop up. The heroine was actually at the end of A Prince on Paper. So basically it's an arranged marriage. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's like arranged marriage or marriage of convenience 
And of course, they end up falling in love in the end. And, you know, spoiler. But you've already told us there has to be a hopeful ending, which is like, you know, so we know it's going to be happy or sort of happy, hopeful. Yes. Yeah. And I guess after that, and the second book is going to be lesbian Anastasia retelling for the second book. Modern So that's that those are the next couple of things I'm working on. Nice. Awesome. Is there any place that you would like to see romance writing go in the future? Like what would you like to just see more of in in the romance genre? I think I would definitely like to see more sci-fi romance, but I would like to see it get a little more traditional publishing support or move a bit more into the mainstream. Uh, Definitely more queer romance being published by traditional publishers. There is an audience for it. We want to read it. (laughs) And frankly, it's ridiculous at this point. I shouldn't have to be asking for it. Readers shouldn't have to be asking for it. It should be there. I think romance publishing is moving toward that, but they need to do a better job and move a bit more quickly. I mean, obviously right now, nothing is really moving quickly (laughs) since we're all quarantined, but after the quarantine, hopefully, because right now, I mean, the predominant queer romance is MM, and I just would like to see more varied experiences and that's not slamming mm at all but just kind of have publishers publish all kinds of queer romance and romance from people from marginalized backgrounds that's what i'd like to see more of and also not make it a thing just publish it (laughs) yeah exactly not like here's our special interracial space story exactly (laughs) Just just publish it yeah it's like it's just a space story exactly Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking all this time thank to you. chat with us. Yeah, thank you. It's so great. Alyssa, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter, usually at Alyssa Cole Lit, um, or on Instagram if you want to see pictures of chickens and dogs at the same handle, Alyssa Cole Lit, or at AlyssaCole.com. Yay. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Our Opinions Are Correct. You can find us everywhere on the internet. You can download us wherever you download your favorite podcast. Please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find us. You can also find us on Twitter at OOACpod. And we have a Patreon where you get lots of audio extras and articles and excerpts from our writing. And that's at patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. You can find show notes at our opinions are correct.com. And thank you so much to our amazing producer, Veronica Simonetti with Women's Audio Mission. And thanks to Chris Palmer for the music. And you'll hear us in two weeks. Bye. Bye.